and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you're planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. So thanks for tuning in. Today we're revealing our top 10 overnight hikes. Woo! Even if you haven't backpacked before, keep listening. There's something here for just about everyone. I promise. Have you recovered yet? I think so, yeah. It's been about 24 hours since we got home from New York City. We... In that time, we've, I mean, we've both, we've worked, you've worked a full day. Yeah, that was rough. That, I don't know, you you go to the, you have a weekend in New York and it's awesome, but it's definitely not a restful one. At least not, not with us. Not the way we do it. <laughs> not with this guy over here. It was fun though. We got to, we fit a lot in. This was my first real, I kept saying this was my first real time in New York. Because during our trip, when we were on the road, we did try to stop in a lot of big cities. And so we we had about a half a day in New York City uh, when we did our road trip. Which was um, not great because it was pouring rain and s- smelly and the we rain were kind makes of it running s- around. Rain makes it smell really bad. And we had our car, so we had to park. We had to drive around um, Manhattan. So that's always a blast. Um, <laughs> and we were kind of on a deadline, too, because we were trying to make it to a friend's in Pennsylvania. So it, so not the, I mean, it was similar to this trip, probably, as far as rushedness goes. <laughs> no, so we... No, this was much better. This was really like a, a fun, acting like a tourist again. I don't know. I don't know. It was great. It was a great weekend. Yeah, we also managed to fit in a few national park sites. Of yes. course, New York actually has a lot of them. Uh, it has Federal Hall, African Burial Grounds, Stone uh, Wall, Inn National Monument, a very new one. Um, the ones we went to, and those are all in Manhattan, by the way. We went to two others, Theodore Roosevelt Birthplace, and Governor's Island. Yeah, we we uh, we're gonna try to hit as many as we could. There's also the Tenement Museum, which we did not get to go to, which is also in Manhattan. Um, but we Theodore Roosevelt was really nice. It was free, totally free. They had a, um, a guided tour every hour, I think. Every 30 hour, minutes. about thirty every thirty minutes. So something like that. Anyway, uh, it was definitely every thirty minutes. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know how many minutes it was. No, it was every hour. No, it was every 30 minutes. It it lasted 30 minutes. Yeah, and then they had a new one each 30 minutes. I don't know about that. Anyway, the debate debate rages on. I think it matters a lot, too. (laughs) But you should talk about the Teddy Roosevelt Museum because he's your biggest crush. Right. (laughs) I have decided he's my favorite president. And it's because he's just awesome. Because he overcame asthma. True. <laughs> so by exercising, he was a horribly uh, sickly kid, and he had asthma. He was allergic to everything in the house. He couldn't sit on any of the furniture because it was all horsehair, and he <laughs> had to get his own. Uh, his father finally figured this out, and he, uh, and that's why he didn't like relaxing on any of the furniture with the family so he got his own felt chair and um basically Talk about problems <laughs> yeah it, until he was 11 or 12 he didn't do any physical stuff he just like collected animals and and made his own uh, roosevelt natural history museum in his bedroom um so he was a super nerd in, for the first bit of his life and then he just started his dad told him like your mind is there but your body is holding it back so you need to exercise was the gist of it <laughs> and he did he, he he said you have to make your body 
and he made his body. He did all these exercises. He got into boxing, and uh, you know we all know Teddy Roosevelt as this huge manly guy who was part of the Rough Riders and a war hero. He was a hunter and just a really stellar outdoorsman who loved the national parks. Another reason why he's the best. Um, <laughs> I actually brought a right, shirt. We're a little biased. Yeah, right. I actually bought a shirt. Brought a shirt to New York, call that said, "Teddy, uh, Teddy Roosevelt for president or something. Vote for the parks." And it had Close. a huge picture of him grinning on it on the front. And it's by park project the the people are called uh the parks project so they have they made that awesome shirt and sent it to us because he's my favorite but anyway i didn't get to wear it to the actual museum i feel like the people the rangers there would have flipped if they saw that yeah why i don't know why you didn't you had it i i don't know either i think i was trying to be too stylish and um, well you were trying to make sure we we were we could carry everything around and then go to like everything we had going on that after that whole day including our broadway show so you wanted to probably wear the shirt that you were going to wear to that night right because yeah. you in new york you have to you don't want to go back and forth to your house all the time or go get to your luggage or I take do. these breaks in the middle of the day oh i really be- do <laughs> because it <laughs> all takes so long to get from one place to another so the way we did it on saturday our main day going around was to just make one huge loop from the hotel where we started going around back to the hotel um and just walking we ended up walking at least 14 miles that day through the city so you want to come on a trip with us (laughs) (laughs) no what i really like you'll get to see a lot yeah you will (laughs) you will Uh, what I really liked about the Teddy Roosevelt birthplace house was also that we had heard a lot about Teddy Roosevelt as a president and as a like a protector of parks and um, we this really just focused on him until he was 14 years old which is the duration in which he lived in the house Um, and so I feel like I didn't really know Teddy as a kid very much actually Teddy. Sorry, Teddy. That's right. Not His Teddy. friends call him Teddy. No one called him Teddy, apparently, except for uh, the rest of America today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so great Theodore Roosevelt uh, National Bir- Theodore Roosevelt Birthplace National Historic Site. Right. Does that sound right? And um, we also went to Governor's Island. We want to talk about that briefly. Sure. It, it had, so it's a whole island between Brooklyn and Manhattan, and there's ferries from both sides to there. It's like a five-minute ride, and it has a couple historic fort structures, fortifications, because when they're preparing for the War of 1812, the U.S. knew they needed to really beef up security around New York Harbor uh, because the British Navy really wanted to come after New York, but they never did because they had all these fortifications, uh, including Castle William, or yeah, Castle William and Fort Jay and South Battery, which were th- the three on Governor's Island. Beyond all those, they just had some really historic homes and some beautiful. Um, outdoor space it was really busy because it was a super nice day with lots of new yorkers coming to the the island to just recreate and yeah, do whatever I feel like they do we tapped into an interesting thing that we don't usually see as tourists is like a a, a local spot it yep. seemed like more than a tourist destination so if you're looking for that especially during the week like a weekday i i'd imagine would be so much less crowded because of that because it mostly seemed like true New Yorkers going to relax and get away from, you know, to not go to Ellis Island or the Statue of Liberty. Um, and it's a really great view of the city. And it was also, the ferry was free until 11.30 a.m. So it was oh, totally yeah. free. So it's like, you might as well. You don't we have to pay a- that $2 adult fare. <laughs> Score. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So the message here is you can find your parks anywhere, even the Big Apple. Yeah, and when in doubt, on a vacation, just let the national parks be your guide. I bet if you look up where the parks are, there's one near you no matter where you are. Even if you are happen to find yourself in the Virgin Islands, which I hope you do at some point. I want to go back to the Virgin Islands. Okay. Yeah, that's random. Yeah, let's go back. Let's get back on track here. So, welcome to our new theme. Can you note, can you guess what it is? I'm not asking you, I guess. I don't know who I'm asking. <laughs> right. How would they ever guess what it is? Well, clues. I don't know. The maybe clues they, that we haven't given them maybe yet? Maybe they read the show notes. Okay, so we're starting this new theme for the next few weeks, and that is talking about the National Park planning. The, not the, but your National Park planning and logistics and how to go about building a trip while following the rules, if that makes sense. But it's a lot more fun than it sounds. <laughs> I promise. You're really pumping them up. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're covering exhilarating topics like planning <laughs> ahead, accessing parks in the off season, and then getting deeper into the parks, which brings us to today, the top 10 list of overnight hikes our top 10 overnight hikes guys this is exciting we um counted it all up did the calculations ran the numbers and turns out we slept in the backcountry 27 nights that's pretty big yeah so we slept that means we slept away far more than a mile away from our car um, there were some times when, you know, we can't, we parked and had to like walk a little bit to get to our campsite. I didn't count those. Um, but these were times when we had to carry all of our stuff more than a mile, put it down and camp and then hike either back to the car or hike somewhere else the next day. So 27 nights, that's almost a month. Yeah. That's and, a lot. And that does seem like a lot in some respects, but also I keep thinking, we had 365 or so days that we were gone, so that's also a lot of nights that we are not in the backcountry. Um, but I guess we got to cut ourselves a break because it is, you know, I always thought that we'd be doing all sorts of backpacking our whole trip, but it's actually harder than you realize to get in the backcountry, especially if you're not planning ahead and making a really purposeful trip out of it. Or if you're going to these parks, um, especially the mountain parks, that don't have really great backpacking trails in the off-season. So a lot of places we thought we would do a lot of backpacking, Glacier, Yellowstone maybe, um, I don't know, Rainier, those were all snowed in. All the trails were covered in way too much snow. So... We couldn't do all the backpacking we maybe envisioned, but it was also great because day trips are are really nice too. When you're doing a lot back-to-back, backpacking really wears you out, whereas if I go out for a backpacking trip now, you know, while I'm living at home, I'm super excited for it. I get, I look forward to it for a long time. But when we, you're on the road like we are, we found ourselves not, I mean, still looking forward to the backpacking, but it took a lot more effort, whereas the day trips were very easy to do. Right. It was a lot more of a chore. And some of that was logistics and planning, but like you said, some of that was just uh, trip exhaustion, <laughs> yeah. travel fatigue. Um, I had another point. I don't remember what I was going to say. I'll forgive you. Thank you. So the 27 oh, nights. What I was going to say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. What I was going to say is that we were also on a mission to experience like the entire national park. And so a lot of that was front country. And now if we go back to a lot of these places, then it's kind of like the second lap. And we want to see some of these um, harder to access areas that might not be might not be like Old Faithful, which I think you have to see, but we've already seen it. So I think on if we were to go back to a lot of these places, um, you know, having seen some of the main stuff, then we would be a lot more interested in accessing 
the backcountry areas. That was a good point. I th- it was worth the wait. <laughs> was that worth interrupting you? <laughs> so, that, but that's really true because if you have a four day trip where we spent a lot of uh, four days at a lot of parks, if you take three days to do a backpacking trip, seeing one sliver of the park really well. That means you only have one day to get the rest of the whole park. So a lot of times we just wanted to get a good feel for the park as a whole instead of diving really deep on one trail. Um, but that was our that was our philosophy for the this year. There are that fifty nine parks a year, and now we are excited to backpack in the future too. Yeah, on our on our second, third, fourth, fifth laps to yeah. all the national parks. Amen. And we did talk about our other – we talked about our top 10 day hikes in episode number six. If you want to go back to that, we also talked about our top 10 short hikes in uh, episode number 28. So those would be two good ones to look up if you are new. Hi. Thank you for tuning in to the this lovely top 10 list today. So should we get – to it let's talk first about some logistics that you encounter when you um, are thinking about backpacking in the national parks so here are some things to remember as soon as you dream up this trip as soon as you think of this trip look into how the permits work how the reservations work sometimes you have to apply way 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 in advance like in the case of the grand canyon or in yosemite um, or Rainier, or John Muir Trail. Yeah, or... so all of those, you're gonna have to just just look it up because some parks you can't, some trails you can't re- reserve in advance, and some you have to. So it just sp- spans the whole spectrum of of um, reservations. When you arrive to the park, as soon as you arrive to the park, go to the visitor center or the wilderness access center um, if there is one, wilderness office or something like that it'll be very clear where you're supposed to go to get your permits and other equipment. Sometimes you need a bear box. Sometimes you, one time we needed a special like poop bag for waste disposal. Where was that? That was in. Oh, Oh, Haleakala? No. It was like a weird environment. It was like a desert, maybe a desert. Great sand dunes? I don't remember. Because great sand dunes, you have to bury it at a very specific uh, depth. That was so funny. Or else, if you bury your poop too deep, it will petrify in the sand. Yep. And then you just have petrified turds petrified everywhere. But you have to bury it like three to six inches deep, and then it will just kind of roll out want... eventually. <laughs> and well, they want those and sand decompose. Yeah, they want the sand to blow off of it so that it decomposes and doesn't get petrified. Which is just a little fun fact for you. <laughs> Once you, before you leave on your trip, don't forget, this is just general safety to let someone know, besides the rangers, because the rangers will ask you, like, where, when you're coming back. But they, they don't really follow up on that unless someone from your family or someone that you have told is, like, looking for you. So I definitely let somebody else know besides the rangers where you're going to be. And then when you get back... Check in, check back in with the visitor center if that's required, and leave no trace, et cetera, et cetera, on the trails. Did I miss any lo- like important general logistics? Yeah, two quick points. Make sure when you're first arriving, you're going to the wilderness office, you know the hours of the wilderness office because lots of times those are different than the visitor center's hours. They're more restricted and you, the last thing you want to do is try and get there um, right when it's closing and you're arriving a little late and you can't get your permit. You can't leave that night or in the morning. You have to wait till the office opens. It, it's horrible. We ran into that plenty, uh, <laughs> like when we almost missed it at the Needles District in Canyonlands. Um, we came in right under the wire. Oh, I don't remember that, yeah. but you're probably right. That sounds like us. And then the only other thing I would mention is to make sure, oh, um, if you're at a place where you need bear spray and say your bear spray got confiscated in at the airport (laughs) like we had ours uh, when we were flying back from Katmai, not the first two flights that Um, we took it on, the the third, Katmai, whatever. (laughs) Um, anyway, we're really worried. 
or one of us was really worried going into the Denali backcountry that we wouldn't have bear spray, we were able to check at the backcountry office in Denali, just ask if they had happened to have any bear spray we could borrow, and they brought out a box of literally 20, 30 bear spray. Yeah, because people fly to Anchorage to go to Denali, and then they um, buy bear spray there, and then they can't fly home with it. So that's where it ends up. So it doesn't hurt to ask those kinds of things. Um, And also, I don't think I'm crazy for wanting bear spray (laughs) in Denali. Thank you very much. The reason we, the only reason we, ours got confiscated was because it was like a weird, we had three one-way flights. And the first two, they had a special bear box. These were like tiny little bush planes. And then the third one was like more of a bigger regular plane and we couldn't. Take it so we we had one more park to go on our whole trip yeah. with no bear spray. <laughs> anyway. The top ten list. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we ranked these from easiest to hardest. And we said we had 27 nights in the backcountry. But we had 20 different backcountry trips. So some of the trips were multiple nights but actually you know since we had 20 different destinations that means that a good number of them were just overnight trips so um that's yeah you know just one night in the back country still we thought allowed us to really get to some unique destinations we've heard some people say that they think you at least have to have three days so you have one whole day you know you leave one day you have one whole day in the wilderness and then you get back the third day and that's the only way they really feel like they're getting away from it but for us we did plenty of good uh leave one day camp somewhere and come back the very next um so yeah that just ended up being our style yeah i think Um, it worked really well and it it allowed us to still like we said before see so much more of the rest of the park too yep yep so starting number one our easiest top 10 uh overnight hike was the painted desert in a petrified forest national park so this is in the northern part of the park not the really famous um not the petrified forest area area. but it's so gorgeous um it's got a little more mountainous uh features to it it's all of these rocks are really stratified so that's where the painted stuff comes in and you you go down into this um basin almost and you're picking your way because there is no trail you're just picking your way back however far you want to go into the wilderness um and there's still petrified wood everywhere it's just littered everywhere and that's just we found really cool was going not on a trail but just walking among all of these petrified logs and at the same time these mounds and little canyons of um painted desert what i liked so much about this is that it diverged so drastically from what from how 99 percent of visitors were seeing the park because we i don't think we ran into any other backpackers that day uh we left you you left the trail um goes right from behind the painted desert the in the historic site that's in the park which is a lot of it's a it's really a drive through park. Um, it's a road trip, trip desk spend less than a day, probably less than a couple of hours at the park. And so there aren't very many people taking the time to really get to see it like we did. Um, and that's why I feel like this made our top 10 is just because it felt so different from how other people were visiting it. So we walked out a few miles, not even too far, uh, before we found a good spot to set up our camp and then hiked a few more miles up and up onto one of the ridges and watched the sunset. And it was great. It was and we lovely. found this petrified um, bridge. Uh, oh, usually yeah. the logs break up. The petrified logs are, get broken under their own weight. 
but uh, very rarely the ground washes out from underneath them and it leaves the log as an actual bridge. So we hiked to one of those and it was really hard to find because there are no markers in any of the painted desert area. But um, we made it. Oh, yeah. and, and the moonlight, my other favorite thing, the moonlight in the painted desert overnight was incredible. It just really made it into this otherworldly um, luminescent, uh, luminescent, <laughs> uh, <laughs> camping experience. I don't know. It, magical. Um, and Definitely. free permit. And, uh, so that's easy and average elevation of 5,800 feet. What? Okay. For background. Okay. But very minimal elevation gain, which is why it made our easiest trail list. Okay. Next, we have um, probably pretty popular trail most of the time, Hetch Hetchy in Yosemite. So we hiked the to, from the trailhead to Rancheria Falls, which was about 13 miles round trip, 800 feet elevation gain. And the cool thing about this is that it's one of the it has one of the longest the Hetch Hetchy area has one of the longest backpacking seasons because. When a lot of other areas in Yosemite are still snowed in, Hetch Hetchy might be available. And that's what we where how we found it. Yeah, and this one is a really nice area. It's um, Hetch Hetchy is a reservoir that was filled in, so it's man-made. Um, looks like a, a very pretty lake. And you keep hiking along the edge of the lake until you get back um, after six or so miles to Rancheria Falls, and that's just a gorgeous area where the river is tumbling down the mountains, making these really big um, cascades, and that was just really We've fun to explore huge, that area. like boulders and like rocky areas where you can camp, um, and we found the, such a cool area with a great view of the of. Um, the reservoir and just like the the valley and everything and it was another gorgeous night we had i remember getting up early the next morning for the sunrise because it was easter morning and we hiked back early and we saw two over 200 we counted 275 them, 275 red salamanders scrambling across the trail on our few miles back and it was just insane it was one of the coolest it was on our Top ten wildlife encounters. Because <laughs> they Podcast. do this, they do this every night. I think they they go from like the wet area to like their shelter during the day or something, and they, that means that they, because of the way the the terrain of the trail, they cross the trail early in the morning. Um, I think that was it, but mm-hmm. really crazy to have to dodge salamanders for two hours yeah um so backpacking in yosemite is a little tricky um just because how of how popular it was we were there in march the very end of march so it wasn't very popular um so we were able to get a first come first serve permit we just went up to the wilderness area the visitor center and talked to the ranger and got it um but you can reserve while uh wilderness permits up to not up to they're available 24 weeks in advance, which is so much time. Um, so you should have plenty of time to plan your trip if you're interested in going there, which I would recommend planning it in advance for Yosemite because one less thing that you need to figure out once you're in the valley is one less thing you'll be stressed out about in that crazy crowded area. All right, let's keep moving yeah. to our third easiest top 10 overnight trip on the Olympic coast of Olympic National Park. One of our favorite favorite nights in the whole year. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. For sure. And this was Third Beach where we started to Toliak Point, which is 12 miles round trip and minimal elevation gain except for the times when we had to climb up over the we had to like scramble up really steep up and then really steep down Mm -hmm. Um, but those were just like a couple of different times that we had to because of the tide we had to you know climb up and over the little ridge yeah so this makes the tide makes this one real interesting because 
at certain you're usually hiking along the beach but at certain points the tide comes in and it goes right up against the cliffs uh, so you can't hike on the beach anymore and you have to climb up or you just have to time it right so you can get past these points at low tide so you have to actually be pretty smart about uh, your timing and the the beaches were incredible the there was a little um uh sea fall or what, what's it called where the waterfall goes right into the ocean. ocean there's a special name for it uh can't think of it but but it only happened it's it's one of only a couple in the country right yeah yeah and that was that was awesome you get to go up like like she said into the forest at certain points and come back down to the coast and then they're off the coast a ways there are these amazing sea stacks that just jut out of the water uh you know 20 yards to 200 yards off the coast and um really add some cool texture and depth to the scenery an amazing silhouette for a sunset mm-hmm. and the campsites were really nice too they were kind of tucked right right into the trees and so we had a great view of the beach but then we also had just like a little bit of i don't know protection and like privacy privacy because you, you were go. right in the tree line yep and they were marked with buoys which was adorable like with, <laughs> from like they were marked with like ocean trash like, yeah, and but the, I'm sure they just pulled out and and marked as the campsite. Right, because at Col- Toliak Point, there's I don't know how many, maybe a dozen sites, probably less, and they're just sp- really spaced out, so you wouldn't be able to see them otherwise. Right. So uh, logistically, you have to some areas in Olympic you have to reserve in advance, like more than 72 hours before your trip, but some areas like Toliak Point, you don't need a reservation. You can get it on site, but you do still have to go to the wilderness area. So always look up the hours. There are like three areas in Olympic where you can get wilderness permits. Um, so look into that. They're $8 per person per night for the permit. Yeah. Would Ugh, definitely go back to do. Always got to cover our logistics. Would definitely go back to do more Olympic backpacking. For sure. Okay, number four, coming in hot, literally, <laughs> is the dune field. That wasn't even funny. Backpacking I don't know trip. <laughs> We're always good for laughing at each other's stupid jokes. You know that. Anyway, the dune field in great sand dunes. Are you dunes. calling my jokes stupid? Um, you never make jokes because you're too lame. <laughs> Thanks. How about that? Okay. I don't like this. It's <laughs> All right. The Dune Field in Great Sand Dunes National Park was one Our of first backpacking trip. Uh, yeah. And it was awesome. Still, it made our top 10 list for campsites. So go find that if you um, feel like it. But it was really cool to just hike, kind of like Petrified Forest, into the wilderness of sand and you go up and down these gigantic dunes and you kind of find your own spot hopefully it's not on the top of the sand dune because it blows like crazy overnight so you want to get in a nice little bowl your own bowl um, and set up your camp on the sand and you barely need a pad because you're camping on this shifting sand so um It was just a really different experience without the trails, without the campsites, going wherever you want in this totally unique, gigantic environment. Again, kind of like an alien planet with all of the the sand dunes. And it gave us really good access to hike high dune in the morning before a lot of other visitors were able to make it up. So I think we were the second. uh, There was one other person who was also from Kansas City, which is funny. Um, he, there was only one other person up at the top when we got to the top. So, uh, because we were camping in the dune field, we had kind of earlier access, I felt like. Yeah. Without having to get up super early. Now you, these are first come first serve permits that you get at the visitor center. However, they 
can disappear in the popular months. There are only 20 spots, 20 groups allowed in the backcountry in the dune field. So being that the dune field is 30 square miles, it's very likely that you won't see anybody else camping around you. You'll probably have your own little section of the field. Um, so that's awesome, but make sure you get a spot. And then once you do get your permit, you have to make sure you hike 1.5 miles into the dune field at least. Basically, just get beyond the first big ridge of the dune field out of sight and you can set up your tent. Which is pretty tough, which is I think is why we put it fifth here. Yeah. Um, is because we it, it's, it's hard hiking. It's hard carrying your pack up the, the sand dune. If you've ever hiked sand dunes, you know that. Um, but yeah, definitely a really, really cool camping experience, and we would recommend it for anybody. Number five. You said that was fifth, but this is actually five. Oh, are you going to fire me? <laughs> I already tried. I do all the work, so I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be interesting if you fire me. The Needles. Canyonlands National Park. Um, the Needles District, we did an awesome overnight loop through uh, Chesler Park. So the whole Needles District has a, has a real uh, crisscrossing network of trails, and we strung something together that allowed us to camp right at Chesler Park, which is a really famous, picturesque, iconic section of the needles where it looks like um, they're not super pointy spires but they are definitely huge tall skinny spires of rock with different layers of oranges reds and yellows uh, and offering something really different i think a different type of feel than the other district the main district that people go to in Canyonlands, which is island in the sky which has all the go- like which we also recommend you go to but has the like the stunning canyon views this is more of like the actual up close with some of the rock features right and it was an 11 mile loop to go around the Chesler Park so it's kind of like a lollipop loop where you get out to the start of the you get out to Chesler Park, and then you can do a little loop around there. What we were going to do was do that loop and then camp at the, the beginning of Chesler Park and then keep going and take a different route back, going past something called Druid Arch, which is a whole different kind of trail. So, But somebody got sick. And ruined the whole party. Way to go. Yeah, it was Elizabeth. But, of course, she was, when she was feeling bad uh, and, you know, sleep didn't help, we went back the next day. I think it was probably the water. Definitely bring your own water to the needles. It, had, it was the worst water on our whole trip. Yeah, I don't know why. But it was so bad. It was so bad. Just bring some gallons of drinking water. Yeah, we're talking about the water at the visitor center was horrible. Yeah, or filter your own, I guess. But there aren't probably aren't very many water sources in the backcountry no definitely i don't think there were any that we came across yeah um i think druid arch though does have a swimming hole nearby so why didn't we go you shouldn't have gotten sick (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah now we were both very healthy for number six that's right yes and this was in one of our top 10 national parks, which was Great Basin National Park in Nevada. And this was the Baker Lake, Lake slash Johnson Lake loop. And this one also has a free permit that you get at the visitor center. It's a 13 mile, um, not loop actually. It's like you start in. Loop. Oh, I guess that is in the name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's. It was the loop. I promise. Okay. I'm remembering wrong. But 13 miles, you gain 3,300 feet. So it's a pretty big up and down. Um, The cool thing is that I think you go back and camp at Baker Lake, 
or you could start by going the other way to Johnson Lake. I would recommend Baker Lake because it is so picturesque. I believe that we uh, camped at Johnson Lake. Okay. So we did it backwards than most people, I think. Most people were camping at Baker Lake, and we camped at Johnson Lake, which we were some of the only ones there. Okay. I'll take your word for that yeah. one. Yeah. We also... Whatever this was, it was, it was awesome. This was a crazy day because we had hiked to Wheeler Peak in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> we so, were really ambitious our first leg of the trip. <laughs> we had gotten up early, hiked the nine-ish round trip miles up to Wheeler Peak, which is the second highest point in Nevada, highest point in the park, um, gorgeous mountain views, and then hiked down basically grabbed an ice cream sandwich from the visitor center got our free permit and went back out and hiked these like six miles that night and ended it was pre, it was a little scary to me because we ended up hike, having to hike with our headlamps and we didn't really know where we were going um we were totally fine we knew that we had to get to a lake <laughs> and we didn't know if anyone else would be there we didn't know where we we're really supposed to set our camp up, but it ended up being totally fine. Found the lake, set up our camp off the trail, and woke up to the most beautiful sunrise ever. Yeah, it, it was so it was definitely w- worth the surprise. And in we the were morning. the only ones there when we hiked. Then, so we also didn't know that basically most of the elevation gain is on that side. <laughs> the way that we went so we right. we were hiking up almost 3000 probably about 3000 feet that first night that after that day we had already done a big hike in the morning it was it was dumb but that that meant the next day was nice and comfy so we 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 had to wake up from Johnson Lake hike just over a uh, over a really steep ridge but then it was like which downhill was actually the kind whole of way. kind of off not off trail, but it's not a really well maintained trail. It's kind trail. of a scrambly, yeah, scree. You're but climbing scree. That makes it cool too, because you really feel like you're, um, you know, you know, to connect this loop. It, that's what makes the, um, that part of the trail less traveled, is because not many people connect the loop. So it really felt like you're, um, forging your own path. Slightly. Following Carnes. Right. The whole way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a really stunning. You get to see two lakes. You get to hike through the, um, like the aspen trees were blooming in September. And it was. Not blooming, but changing colors. That's what I meant. We know what you meant. <laughs> and it was a really good early fall. A Gray Basin's like super empty. So highly recommend stopping by if you can. Are you ready for number seven? Am I on the right numbers yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> number seven. Number seven was a big one. It was Haleakala Crater, which is in Haleakala National Park. So that's on the island of Maui, Hawaii. And it was a trail that we took off from the very top of the crater, where the visitor center is, and hiked down Sliding Sands Trail uh, all the way to the back to the opposite side of the crater and stayed at Paliku. There's cabins there, but you have to reserve those super in advance, and we were not those kind of kind of people at that part of the trip in <laughs> January. Um, so we first, just first leg Donaldson's would have reserved that at a time. right. <laughs> And probably hiked the leg. <laughs> hiked the trail like three times just for good measure because yeah. we had so much energy. Right. Anyway, we stayed at the campground, which was super cool anyway, to be right up against the the wall the, of the crater that was just covered in vegetation and just shot like a rocket up before you. Uh, see the Nene kind of waddling around. Nene are the na- the state bird. And they're basically a goose, but much more fun. Yeah, much more fun to see because they're endangered. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, you get to watch the wall of clouds come into the the crater in the afternoon, and really enjoyed just relaxing at the Paliku campground Um, after coming through this Mars-like 
terrain of the crater. Yeah, and it, it was it was one of those you know a canyon crater type hike where you hike down a long ways and then you hike then you have to climb back up. I think I prefer the other way, but this one this was about fourteen hundred feet of loss for the first day, and then you gain that on the second. Well, we didn't quite gain all of that the second day, because what you do is you hike out to a different trailhead, and then you can catch a. Um, kind of like hitchhiking but it seemed more sh- like more like part of what the park just provided which was anyone could pull over and pick you up but there's like a designated wait spot um so you caught so a ride was, up it was designated hitchhiking designated hitchhiking. hitchhiking you caught a ride up the rest of the way to the summit and then drove our car back down basically yeah so we didn't have to climb that whole 1400 feet out um but it seemed like it. It seemed long. It's those switchbacks seemed like they went on forever and ever. But, um, but it was just a really, really unique experience to sleep in the crater. And you got some crazy views coming out, mm-hmm. especially when you could look over and see the other side of the crater, like towards um, the cities in Maui and everything. So Definitely. it made a nice little triangle from the summit to Paliku and then out to the trailhead of... Uh, Hale Ma'u. Yeah. So check it out next time you're Bucket in Bucket list item for sure. Um, and if you don't want to bring all your stuff to Hawaii, look into those cabins. Look into reserving a cabin and then you can sleep on a cot. Uh, or they have like bunks and they have like dishes, I think. So you just have to really bring your hiking stuff and food. Uh, so check that out. All right. Number eight <laughs> we didn't if, number them <laughs> if hard. you don't want to go all the way into the middle of the pacific go all the way to the appalachian mountains and hike part of the at in great smoky mountains yeah we loved this this was it's really unique because they have shelters along the whole appalachian trail every eight to ten miles or so and this means that you don't have to carry a tent and you can you get to share a shelter with a bunch of smelly men that are hiking the, the Appalachian Trail. At least it's, that was Elizabeth's dream. It's everybody's goal. So we got to Great Smokies. We went to the visitor center and had so many options of stuff to choose from. It took us a while to find a route, and the ranger really helped us out. Um, basically, we decided to go to Newfound Gap, which is in the middle of the main part of the park uh, where the road crosses the Appalachian Trail and set out from the big parking lot there going east, northeast on the trail. And um, it was going to be a really gorgeous hike along the ridge with views on both sides, except it was completely cloudy on both sides. White. Like we're talking like a wall of white like nothing else that you could see completely socked in so we, smoky. we walked up to charlie's bunion and just walked right back down because that's like it was supposed to be a really good um lookout didn't see anything from there so we <laughs> kept walking to the to the shelter and we were going to make this a two-day hike so that's what our permit was for was three for days two nights two nights yeah two nights so the first night at Pex Corner and the second night at Kephart, which kind of took us off the trail into like a triangle that connected back then to the AT and then we would hike back to our car. Um, but we decided to just do the first night because we weren't seeing anything and it was raining and it, we were everything we had was wet and we knew that, you know, the clouds weren't going to like let out, let off at all. And so we just ended up making it a two day trip about 20 miles or so. Yeah, but if you did the whole loop the way we mapped it, which I still think it would be super cool, uh, it it would be 26.7 miles as a good loop, mostly on the AT. Yeah, Um, and anywhere you hike along the AT, especially within the park, is really, really uh, cool and well-maintained and pretty well-traveled also. You Um, meet some interesting folk. Definitely. We hit it at the right time where we were meeting 
the top downers that's probably southbounders that's what they're called. yeah there you go <laughs> um and so we were camping with people who were almost who were only like 250 miles away from being done with the whole trip so yeah they was... were doing 10 times as no 100 almost 100 times as many miles as we did over those two days how does that make you feel <laughs> pretty insignificant yeah yeah, but we we did we well I don't know never mind I was gonna say we visited a hundred times more national parks that's not quite true but <laughs> man something, something like that anyway number nine because I can do math is Emory Peak to you can't read words though well so, I, it says Emory Peak there. Okay, uh, but don't you, in okay. Big Bend National Park, we did a loop around the South Rim. So this was... In the Chisos Basin Mountains. Yes, thank you. The stops along the loop were Emory Peak, the South Rim, and Laguna Meadow, which is where we actually camped. Mm-hmm. And Emory Peak had incredible views. It's the highest point in the park, and you can see for miles and miles because it's just such a vast uh, area. You can see all kinds of desert in the Chihuahuan Desert. And, and I didn't know there were that many ma- mountains in Mexico. Honestly, yeah, you, yeah. What, what you're looking at at the South Rim is into Mexico. And it's just so mountain valley, mountain valley, mountain valley nothingness for as long as far as you can see and it's incredibly beautiful um this is a hike that's semi it's big bend is maybe getting more popular but it's still pretty off the beaten path not many people still like want to go there so definitely check that out if you're into backpacking because it's like a super underrated backpacking destination um this particular trail was 11.9 miles um the whole loop and it gained 2,500 feet of elevation. We camped one night. You could do it as a long day hike. But we also added on one mile to get up to Emory Peak. So that actually made it 13.9 miles. So that would be a pretty tough day hike. Um, but if you get up early enough, you can definitely do it. Permits, though, were very easy to access to, or to get. You have to... You can only get them in person. So you can't. you can plan ahead, but then... You have to still go to the visitor center and see if your permits are available. Ours, we were there in February, so we had no trouble getting our spot that we wanted. We camped in Laguna Meadow. It's uh, one permit is $12, but you can extend it to up to 14 nights on this one $12 permit. So what we ended up doing was really cool. We we did one, our first night was a hiking in the backcountry, and then our second two nights were both drive up campsites that were um like designated backcountry but you could drive up to them so as long as we had a high clearance vehicle i don't i don't think a high clearance vehicle was even required for these areas but we were able to put those on our permit so it was it was 12 dollars for three nights of camping in big in big bend which was pretty amazing yeah and we were able to cover a lot of ground that way too so we, since we had planned out ahead of time, or kind of planned out there, really, we kind of winged it, um, but we were able to, to strategically pick out our campsites based on where we were going to be in the park that day, because it's such a big, big, vast park that you want to have a general plan of where you're going to go uh, before you arrive. All right. Yeah, anything to add? You nailed really, it. Really, really cool. Uh, really cool backpacking. Very cold in February, even though the rest of the park was like 70 degrees, 75 degrees. Uh, this was up in the mountains, and we were frozen overnight. It was very yep. cold. I had trouble sleeping that night. <laughs> and I never have trouble sleeping. So let's move <laughs> on to our last. So that we can sleep. Our most difficult, number 10 most epic by far rim to rim to rim in grand canyon national park so this was starting at south kaibab trailhead on the south rim we hiked down past bright angel campground and phantom ranch 
all the way to Cottonwood Campground with a little spur off to Ribbon Falls, possibly my favorite waterfall ever. Then after Cottonwood Campground night there, the next day, day number two, we kept going up the north Uh, to the North Rim, that's a 6,000-foot climb, and stayed at the um, North Rim. So that was really cool to see that whole side of the park because most people don't. It's a lot less visited, a lot more forested, um, just really relaxed, chill um, Grand Canyon experience. And then Day number three, left the North Rim, went all the way down past Cottonwood this time to Bright Angel Campground, stayed there for a night, and then day number four, took off last uh, run up to the South Rim by the Bright Angel Trail, uh, 4,500 feet elevation gain. So it was 24 miles to the north rim then 24 back to the south rim add on a few miles for uh, some spurs for ribbon falls and roaring springs and then actually the mileage that you that we had to do from the uh, north rim to the north rim campground which we did not expect was about like two miles it seemed like 75 miles (laughs) at the end of the day all told we probably did about 54 miles or so so lots of elevation gain lots of logistics also for for getting a permit for this hike so did you look up the specific do you remember the specific weeks that you have to for the for a certain season I believe that permits open up either April 1st or March 1st for the whole summer season. Well, what it is, it's three months ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, On, you know, so if you're going, say, August 18th, go three months before that. So June, July, May, May 1st is the first day you can open up. So the first of the third month before okay. your trip. Gotcha. Um, but which means that on the first of the month, all the, a bunch of people are putting in that day. And and you don't worry, the National Park Service still uses fax machines as their <laughs> most reliable source. There is no, you, there's not, it's not an online reservation system, which you'd think would be really easy. You have to, you have to mail or fax in, right? Right. Your application for a permit and it's then it's ridiculous. A, and then from there everyone who faxes it in at a certain like on the first they put everyone in a pool and draw it it's a lottery so it's really strange and ridiculous and too complicated to ex- explain the in and out but yeah. basically if you don't win the lottery don't give up all hope because you can do what we did and just show up and try and get a walk in walk up permit yeah, so we were really lucky with that. We got to the wilderness office as early as we could, actually about a half an hour early to wait in line for the office to open uh, so that we could try to get the first um, walk-in permit. And we were able to get one for our first night in Cottonwood Campground. We had already reserved our second night up at the North Rim Campground. Just that's all, that, that you can do online. What we were not able to get was the coming back from Bright Angel but with a few, with a lot of complicated, like talking to other hikers and whatnot, we were able to, like, kind of mooch onto someone else's reservation and camp with them, and it all worked out fine. Um, but that's just proof that if you don't get the reservation ahead of time, there's still that chance to get it yeah. walking in. If you're persistent, if you're very persistent, As, yeah. So just be flexible if you can, and. Don't give up. Uh, try the walk-in and even try talking to other campers, uh, backpackers, because you're all just trying to see the same beautiful stuff, and you can help each other out. And it was truly epic. Like, it was yeah. definitely one of the coolest, coolest, coolest things we did on our whole trip. It was hard, but it was not that hard. Like, it was very doable, even for me, who I'm not a super experienced hiker or anything. Um well, you are now. I am now. But that I was guess. at the very beginning of our trip. Yep. It was in September. 
yeah, and we so started in August. That was our hardest overnight hike. Yeah. And that wraps up our top 10 list. So if you have done any of these hikes, let us know. Or if you have any others to add, please like send us, send either comment on something that we post about this uh, podcast, or like in the show notes, if you go to switchbackkids.com slash podcast. Um, and let us know if you have any other favorite overnight hikes because they are, there are so many in the national parks, such as some of the ones we're going to mention now in our honorable mention section. Yeah, so we'll blaze through these. Real quick. Number one honorable mention is uh, Upper Muley Twist Canyon from Capitol Reef National Park. It was a really cool going through the canyon, uh, also get some really high up views. In the Water Pocket District, which is an interesting geologic area of Capitol Reef National Park. Second would be the Under the Rim Trail in Bryce Canyon. That was 22 miles. We added on the Riggs uh, Spring Loop to make it about 30 miles. And the cool thing about this is that it's one way, but you can use the shuttle system so you, you only have to hike that that 22 miles one way. Had a really great backcountry site, so we really liked where we slept. The trail itself was, was very cool, uh, but was the coolest part was the campsites. Then we had Murphy Point, which was in Canyonlands, but it was the Island in the Sky district. So this was not a, really as much of a backpacking trail as just a backpacking overnight spot. Basically, you there's one uh, camping permit for this area of the park, and if you get it, and we just walked in and it happened to be free. We got it. We it, basically you hike out to Murphy Point, this gorgeous overlook of a section of the confluence of the Colorado and Green Rivers and Canyonlands and you can actually just set up your your tent wherever you want on the rim and then hike back out. It wasn't very far. It was like um 2 miles or so. I think it's about 3 round trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next would be in Guadalupe Mountains. We camp. We hiked one night up in the backcountry, up in the bowl. Is that what it was called? Right. The bowl. Okay. So the bowl area. So we it was a loop. We were able to hike up one side, hike down the other side, and um, saw an amazing sunset. It was really freezing, so we didn't. We only did this one night instead of doing it another night. And you weren't feeling very well e- you, either that yeah, time. Yeah, neither of us were. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I was pretty sick but too. But it, it did still make for some interesting backpacking. Definitely remote. Definitely um, you won't see very many other people. Yeah, the views from the top of the mountains I thought were gorgeous. Yep. So number five, Jumbo Creek, which is in Wrangell-St. Elias National Park in Alaska. And this one, similar to Murphy Point, not as much of a great... Uh, trail as a great camping destination at the end of it so you hike basically two miles one and a half okay one and a half out to the jumbo creek campground from the main area of the park and you get to set up your tent on the side of this um, mountain and look out over two ginormous glaciers that are flowing together and beyond that is Blackburn Mountain which is 18,000 something feet um, so just glaciers and mountains creating a uh, an incredible panorama and it's free it's a free option in the park one of and it's the only campground that really the only campground option you have if you want to be kind of close to the Kennecott area uh, without having to stay in the lodge for lots of money so good option for everyone out there now beyond our honorable mentions don't worry there's more we also have a few that are still on our list so let's also just rattle these off really quick that we did not get to do for whatever reason um but that we still would love to hit these at some point in our lives yeah first theodore roosevelt uh, National Park in the North Unit, we wanted to do Achenbach Trail. It was just, weren't feeling, weren't feeling it at the time, and we had to uh, just 
stay to the day hikes, but that would have been and hopefully will be a really nice um, trip through the, the back country. Yeah, in Glacier, there's the Many Glacier Loop. In Rainier, there's the Wonderland Trail in Yosemite and and Sequoia in Kings Canyon. It goes through there too, I think, right? Yeah. Sequoia and Kings Canyon, there's the John Muir Trail, which is kind of like the highlight of the Pacific Crest Trail. Good old JMT. Yeah, so there's so many that are still on our list that we'd love to that just keep us motivated to get, to get out there and uh, make the most of our time in the parks and also get to see so much more of these beautiful areas that our country has deemed worthy of protection and thank goodness yeah so regardless of the overnight trip you're planning in a national park it takes logistics so plan ahead and don't give up because these hikes are worth it yes every park is a little bit different so be prepared going in, look up the permit regulations and the reservation, the system for reserve reservations, but also be super flexible if your original plans don't work out. You might end up with something even better than you originally thought you would, would uh, get to experience in the parks. So that does it for our top 10 overnight hikes. Hope you took something away and got some new fodder for your bucket list. Uh, And thanks for checking us out. We'll be back next week to officially kick off our new theme, which is planning and logistics in the national parks. We promise it will be more exciting than it seems. And in fact, the two parks we'll be talking about are some of the most bucket list worthy trips in the whole park system, Yellowstone and Katmai. Yeah, we'll be talking about those two parks next week. So, if you enjoyed this podcast, we would love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud, or find us on social media. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, post guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out. out.